Hi, everyone, and welcome back once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Winter and Spring Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it is awesome to be with you again. It is Wednesday, March 16th. Today, we continue in our study of the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how believers can trust God in all circumstances. The text is going to be Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Got a lot to talk about in a short period of time, so we'll get to it in just a moment. But as always, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love, your amazing grace, and the opportunity we have to study your Bible today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we're going to uncover. Teach us how to walk better for you and to be a better influence for others in our community and beyond. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. One of the benefits of walking with God for many years is that we get to see firsthand how the Bible is right about everything. The Bible's right about money, true contentment, sex and marriage, leadership, relationships, and so much more. Long-term believers who live by God's principles see them validated again and again. And with that in mind, here's our opening question. In what areas of life do you find it most difficult to trust God? Well, talking about hitting close to home, boy, this opening question sure does. I'd like to share with you three areas that are continual works in progress for me. Maybe they are for you too. The first is a lack of stillness and silence before the Lord. Without a dimension of silence and stillness in my life, arguably the two most difficult spiritual practices in the church today I won't be able to offer the Holy Spirit space where he can tenderize my willfulness and turn it into willingness. The secondary is perfectionism. I'm one of those who seek excellence and carry the shadow of a driving perfectionism. As I continue to learn and let go, I find that God is passionate that I become excellent at letting go and trusting him. And that is much more important to him than having my environment marked by order and perfection. And last, having a limited view of letting go. This is not about answering an altar call, having a crisis moment of surrender, or praying once a day. I continue to learn that letting go of control and trusting Jesus is the core of the Christian life, every day, every hour, every moment of every day. The good news, I've gotten much, much better through the years in these three areas, and have great hope to be better still in the days ahead, all because of the Lord. To him be all the honor and glory for this and all things, and for you as well. Here's the second question. What does trusting God look like for you? One scripture reference that comes to mind that I'm sure you've heard time and time again, probably the best go-to verse on trusting God, is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So trust is a kind of learning, transferring our weight onto someone or something else. It means choosing. We make one initial choice to lean into God instead of ourselves, especially when life doesn't make sense, and then we continue to practice making that choice over and over. Once we've made the choice to trust God, then we need to keep on trusting. And the way we build our trust 
is to remind ourselves over and over and over of trustworthy truths about God, such as God is good. He will never leave us. He loves us. He's in control. He never makes mistakes. And he can be trusted. And I'm sure you have more. The continual process of trusting God is not only speaking the truth to ourselves, but reminding ourselves of his faithfulness in the past. And there is no passivity in trusting God. It is a very active way of choosing to think and remember and maintain our position of dependence on him. Are you ready to explore the text? All right, we're going to see in this study how Daniel's faithfulness to God reflects God's faithfulness and trustworthiness to us. Now, first, let me give you some background. The prophet Daniel served under at least three kings. He first served under King Nebuchadnezzar. Second, in Daniel 5, 13 through 28, he served King Belshazzar, where he interpreted the handwriting on the wall for him. And in Daniel 7, starting at verse 1, and Daniel 8, verse 1, he also had two significant visions during Belshazzar's reign. Third, Daniel 6, verses 1 and 2, records that Daniel served Darius, the first king of the Persian Empire. Based on datable events in the book of Daniel, we can calculate that Daniel was probably close to 80 years old during the events of Daniel 6. In Daniel 6, 1, Darius appointed 120 officials called satraps to administer his kingdom. In Daniel 6, 2, he also chose three administrators, including Daniel, to oversee the governors. Then in verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself in service so well that the king considered appointing him over the entire kingdom. And in Daniel 6, 4, we see Darius' favor toward Daniel did not please the other officials, but they could find no charge to bring against Daniel due to his trustworthiness. In verse 5, they finally decided perhaps they could trap him in something regarding his relationship with God. Then in verses 6 through 9, they suggested to the king that he establish a decree that for 30 days anyone who petitioned or prayed to any god or person beside the king would face death in the den of lions. The king signed the edict, which meant it could not be changed. Now that's the background leading up to today. Let's look at the outline we're going to study today. In Daniel 6, starting out with verses 10 to 14, it's called the trap set. Then in verses 15 through 18, we're calling that the door shut. And then finally in verses 19 to 24, we're calling that the tables turned. So open up your Bible or Bible app to Daniel chapter 6, and let's start with verses 10 through 14 and get to study in this first section called the trap set. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, with its window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law? that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, 
That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Let's get to some questions. Question number one, look at verse 10. Verse 10 references a new law that had been enacted by King Darius. What was it? Here's a hint. You might want to go back and look at the preceding verses, verses 6 through 9. Now, here's the questions. What was the law? And was Daniel present when the law was signed? And a third part, and what was Daniel's response to the new law? Take a look at verse 10. First, let's look at the new law signed by the king. In Babylon, the king's words were the law. Whatever the king said was law. In the Medo-Persian Empire, however, when a law was made, even the king couldn't change it. Darius was an effective government administrator, but he had one fatal flaw, and that was pride. So the king's administrators and high officers appealed to his pride. They appealed to his vanity and convinced him to sign a law that would effectively make him a god for 30 days. And for anyone to worship and pray to anyone else would result in their death. The answer to the second question is, no, Daniel was not present when this took place. Thirdly, as far as his response to the new law, he reacted true to form. Daniel went home, but not to hide. He went home to pray, as he always did, three times a day, in fact. He had a very disciplined prayer life. Certainly, Daniel must have assumed death awaited him if others discovered his practice of regular prayer, but he had already determined what he would do. He would remain faithful to God, regardless of the cost. Here's our second question. In verse 11, who were the men that went to Daniel's home and what was their purpose? We see there in this verse the words, the officials, and they refer to Daniel's accusers. And they went together, likely to ensure that they would have witnesses to bring charges against Daniel. The men did indeed find Daniel praying just as they knew they would. Now, if you go back to verse 4, it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. So clearly, Daniel's accusers were seeking to find fault with him. Instead, they found him seeking his God. Daniel was aware of the law, but he did not use prayer as some kind of protest against Persian custom or culture. Instead, he simply maintained the spiritual discipline he'd already practiced. That's fantastic. Question three. After catching Daniel praying, the officials went back and reported it to the king question here is, how did he react? In verse 14, it says the king was deeply troubled. So the king recognized the folly of his own pride by signing such a law. He had carelessly trapped one of his most trusted officials and now had to deliver him to death. So he set his mind on rescuing Daniel. As king, he had many resources at his disposal, but he couldn't find a solution and he couldn't trust his closest counselors for advice as many of them wanted to see Daniel gone. Although Darius made every effort until sundown to deliver Daniel, he was unable to devise a strategy that would result in his freedom. Question four. 
Where is the line for believers when it comes to ignoring or knowingly disobeying laws that restrict religious freedom? This is sure this is sure a lot to talk about here, as there are several biblical accounts of civil disobedience, but I'm going to try to sum it up this way. Christians should resist a government that commands or compels evil and should work non-violently within the laws of the land to change a government that permits evil. Civil disobedience is permitted when the government's laws or commands are in direct violation of God's laws and commands. If a Christian disobeys an evil government, unless he can flee from the government, he should accept that government's punishment for his actions. Christians are certainly permitted to work to install new government leaders within the laws that have been established. And lastly, Christians are commanded to pray for their leaders and for God to intervene in his time to change any ungodly path they're pursuing. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so they can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Question 5. How does regular time in prayer with God change our lives? Prayer is the power tool for Christians to communicate with God. It's our way of realizing that we've got needs and the only provider of our needs is the Father in heaven. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, it says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And we can lay our worries to him because he promised to take care of us. Just like it's written in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So how does prayer change us? It changes us by making us closer to God and knowing him better. It changes us by improving our attitude on listening to what God wants. It changes us through patience, because as we pray, we're required to be patient in listening to God's will. It changes us by nourishing our faith in God. As we communicate with God, we learn that he's truly our great provider, and it is only through God that we can receive impossible breakthroughs in our lives. It changes us by building our inner strength through Jesus Christ. And lastly, it changes us through our ultimate surrender to God. Prayer is a form of worship, and only through worship are we able to surrender ourselves to God. Amen and amen. The next point in our outline is called the door shut. Let's read verses 15 through 18, Daniel 6, 15 through 18. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God who you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Question number one. 
Would you consider this new law more of a trap for Daniel or for King Darius? I think the primary trap was for Daniel, though it certainly trapped the king. These high officials were intimidated by Daniel from the time he first arrived in Babylon. Their shallow, self-centered, and faithless lives were always less than because they depended on themselves, and they felt threatened by Daniel. So what better way to get rid of him than to manipulate the king? Question 2. In verse 16, the king made a hard decision against Daniel, but he also showed him respect. How? When the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you, he was showing that he respected Daniel's integrity to worship his God. May we be found faithful in our worship of the Lord as well. Question 3. In verse 17, why did the king seal the stone? The appearance of the king's seal on this stone made anybody who saw it aware that this was official royal court business. The seal of his nobles was also placed on the stone, indicating their agreement with the king's decision. With the king and many of his officials approving this action, it was clear nothing could be changed concerning Daniel. Now, here's a side note. Interestingly, the Lord Jesus' opponents also wanted to ensure his tomb was sealed after he was buried, Matthew 27:66. Both the action against Daniel and the action against Jesus were endorsed by the ruling government, and anyone who witnessed either of these two events would have thought the matter was concluded with the death of Daniel or Jesus. Of course, no one foresaw God's dramatic intervention in both cases. Question 4. What elements in Daniel's experience correspond to Jesus' experience at his crucifixion? I think there's four similarities here. They are, first, the actions against both men were endorsed by the ruling government. Number two, neither responded verbally to the charges and sentences brought against them. And number three, witnesses to either of these events would have thought the matter concluded with death. And number four, the lion's den and the tomb were both sealed with a stone. Question 5. In verse 18, the king does something unusual. What was it and why? So the king went back to his palace and he spent the night fasting. Perhaps his fasting was an act of piety, or perhaps he simply refused to eat when he knew his friend had died. He refused any entertainment, and in light of the circumstances, he couldn't even sleep. In the book of Esther, King Ahasuerus could not sleep one night and ordered royal historical documents be brought to him so he could read them, Esther 6.1. But Darius wanted no distractions, for nothing could console him. Let's turn our attention now to the last part of our outline, which is the tables turned. Let's read together verses 19 to 24. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me, and I have been found innocent in his sight. I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. 
Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they ever hit the floor of the den. Question 1. In verses 19 and 20, we can clearly see the king's despair over Daniel's situation. It says he called out in anguish. What does this say about the king's feelings for Daniel and his hope in God? First of all, the king lamented his decision to throw Daniel into the lion's den. He didn't want to do that, but he was bound by the law that he himself had been tricked into signing. And you can tell that his anguish was clear in his voice. We don't know if the king's reference to Daniel, servant of the living God, implies any kind of faith on the king's part, but he had come to recognize and respect Daniel's piety and loyalty to his God. Perhaps he thought that if anyone could deliver Daniel, it was Daniel's God. And clearly that was the case. Question two, verses 21 through 23 speak clearly about Daniel's faith in God. What does this mean for us today? I believe it means that the man or woman who trusts in God and obeys his will is untouchable until God takes him or her home to be with him. To trust in God is to have immeasurable peace. God, who delivered Daniel, will deliver you too, my friend. The question is, do you trust him in your life? And our last question for today, number three, in verse 24, the king took action against the men who played on his vanity and influenced him to ultimately try and kill Daniel. What action did the king take against those men? The king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel and execute them. He considered them untrustworthy since they had plotted a way to get rid of their enemy, someone Darius trusted and admired. Also, the king had just witnessed an amazing feat of divine intervention. Daniel's God had saved him from a den of lions. It might have made sense to Darius, consequently, to put to death Daniel's enemies, lest he possibly angered Daniel's God by retaining them as officials. The king ordered that they be thrown into the lion's den. But the judgment not only included Daniel's accusers, but also their wives and children. Perhaps some of them had willingly participated in the deceit. Or perhaps Darius wanted to ensure future generations of family members would not try to retaliate. At any rate, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Daniel's accusers thought they were getting rid of him, but God intervened, and what they had planned as Daniel's demise actually became their own. Well, folks, that brings us to an end of our study today. What a great time talking about Daniel in the lion's den. This account of Daniel in the lion's den reminds us that we can trust God in all circumstances. Others may try to limit our worship or discourage us from taking our faith too seriously. Sometimes we may even face persecution that challenges our faith and threatens our way of life and maybe life itself. But nevertheless, we can trust that God knows our situation and will act in our situation to bring honor to himself as we remain faithful to him. Next week, we're going to be studying Daniel 7, verses 1 to 14, and we'll talk about how believers can live with confidence, knowing that God's kingdom is eternal. I hope to see you back here same time next week. Until then, 
Thanks for joining us today. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.